0: Hi, folks. Today we're going to be talking about the movie Miller's Crossing, which is by the Coen brothers and stars Gabriel Byrne. So Miller's Crossing has this kind of classic gangster setup where the too smart by half fixer for an Irish mob boss, the fixer is named uh, Tom, and the Irish mob boss is named Leo, is drawn into this protracted conflict with a new Italian mob boss named Casper, making matters more complicated. The conflict kind of centers around a bookie who's paying for Leo's protection. And Leo is in love with the bookie's sister. And uh, Tom is sleeping with the bookie's sister as well. So there's a lot going on there. And this is one of those movies where you really have to pay attention to it. Like it's not going to hand you anything on a silver platter. And the plot is, is pretty complicated. It's not a movie you can have your phone out while you're watching. Um, if you do, it won't make a lot of sense to you. I wanted to talk about this movie because the holidays are coming up and people watch a lot of movies around the holidays. And unfortunately, most of the stuff that kind of gets pushed on mainstream platforms is really bad. You know, a lot of new stuff is really bad these days. But even the kind of old stuff that gets pushed doesn't really hold up. And I think that it has a really negative impact on people to like watch trash. Like I think it, you know, it's like garbage in, garbage out. So throughout the month, I'm going to be talking about some movies that are crowd pleasers. But there are also crab pleasers that aren't like popcorn, right? There's a, there's a, uh, really is a lot of depth to this movie. And it's something that you're going to pick up something new every single time you watch it. I was reminded of Milos Prossing because I saw The Killer recently, which I really like. You know, the, the review, there's another episode covering my review of The Killer, but the poster for The Killer, was definitely inspired by a really iconic shot from the end of Miller's Crossing, where uh, the main character, Tom, is, is just pointing his gun at the camera, I and mean, it's basically the POV of someone who's Tom's about to shoot. And it seems impossible, looking at stuff today, that a movie like Miller's Crossing even got made, where it's got this kind of great, very punchy, older-style writing, I know it was um, based on a detective book from the the 1930s, and the Coen brothers were definitely inspired by a lot of detective movies. They've had an encyclopedic knowledge of, of those movies and, and absolutely love them. But everything about the the movie is just incredible. The acting is great. There are probably thousands of, of moments in the movie where if you just took a still Picture of like the screen, like you would be alert to painting. Like it's, it's something that's visually interesting. It's intellectually stimulating. I'm gonna mention spoilers, but it's it's one of those things where it's really impossible to spoil because so much of the value comes from the dialogue and the plot is really so complex that anything that I mention, you're not gonna be able to put it in context with what you're seeing on the screen, and you're gonna be waiting for for whatever happens to unfold. I think the most noticeable thing about this movie is just how light on its feet and confident it is in that the movie is just packed to the brim with this very witty dialogue but it also isn't showing off right like it's it's absolutely amazing we written like there's so many scenes where it's like actually laugh out loud funny even though it's, it's obviously not played for laughs Right. It's just like these are witty guys. It's compelling to watch them. But it's a movie that never really takes the bait or becomes very self-indulgent. Right, It knows that it's good, so it doesn't have to slow down for you, the viewer, to catch up, right? You're going to enjoy it no matter what. And so it can kind of exist in a natural state. And uh, another Khan Brothers movie that reminded me of this was The Valid of Buster Scruggs, which came out on Netflix a few years ago. It is also excellent. I recommend you check that out. And The Valid of Buster Scruggs is a kind of episodic retelling of certain uh, American, like, Old West-style stories. They're all very different. They all have different genres. You know, like structurally, they're totally different, and each one is just a joy to watch. It is like pure enjoyment, but it's it's not something that is like you know frivolous popcorn movie enjoyment. The newest project reminded me of um, one of the 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 first episode in the Ballad of Buster Scrubs is about Buster Scrubs who's fed of this loony, real-life Looney Tunes character. He's, he's a gunfighter in the Old West, and he's, like, blowing off people's figures, and he, he's, like, a, you know, very wardrobe than my figures. Like, it's intentionally playing for laughs. Like, it's, um, that's probably the most, like, service-level enjoyable. Like, there's a lot of physical comedy in it. But um, Buster Scrubs goes into a saloon, and a guy gets up from the the uh, poker table, and Buster Scrubs sits down, and he loops in the cards, and the guys are like, you know, you can have his seat if you play his hand. And the cards are the dent man's hand, which is the, the last poker hand that Wild Bill H- uh, Hickok had before he was shot. And so that, that's like an urban legend. It's like bad luck to get that, that hand in poker. And so Buster Scrum says, don't, you know, I don't want to play it. And, you know, this, but he gets into a, a fight and eventually kills another gambler who doesn't, you know, doesn't think it's okay that he hasn't played those cards but um it's an enjoyable scene but the con brothers never stop and are like hey this is the dead man's hand where it's about wild Bill Hickok and you know it was the last hit he ever had so it's bad luck in the old west to get this hand like it doesn't need applause for that little detail even though that detail adds a lot to the scene because there's so much else going on and it's like you know they're they're adding in all this great content and I knew that um, even if you don't appreciate it on a surface level, it's kind of in the background of your mind, right? I, you know, I love Western, so I knew about the dead man's hand. But, like, if you had no idea that it is something that you could look up or at least something that you wouldn't know was significant, even if you didn't know how it was significant. And I think that that's missing from a lot of modern media. So, like, uh, the movie Alien... The shift in Alien is called the Nostromo, and Nostromo is a classic Joseph Conrad book, and it doesn't take time to kind of dwell on that. But you know, Alien's like a classic movie, and it's referencing another classic, and those little details. Yet, even if you don't. If you, you know, I didn't know the Nostromo was until like a year or so ago. Uh, but even if you don't know these details, pick up on the fact that they're like details and it makes the movie seem really rich and the universe seem really rich. It's connected to this parade tradition, even if it's a different genre, even if they're totally different actions going on. It's quoting from it. And a lot of Miller's processing apparently, you know, not super... I like detective movies, but I don't know a lot of, like, classic noir, or like, detective movies. Clearly, a lot of the scenes in Miller's Crossing are taken just directly from old classic movies. But it's it's incorporated into this new package and, you know, updated and, like, smoothed over. And so even if you don't know that stuff, you can enjoy it today. It's not like – it's not trivia, right? It really contributes to it, and it lets you know that you're in something that's uh, – like titanic, like it's it's much bigger than itself. Like it's more than the sum of its parts. And on top of being just unusually complex, the message of Miller's Crossing is something that I don't really think you give a lot, right? It's, it's something that's a little bit cynical and it's a little bit, it's, um, it's not so nice to think about. So essentially you have this smart guy, uh, Tom, who... Seems like he's a, like a wunderkind, right? He's good at everything. He's, he's so smooth. His boss, Leo, has absolute faith in him and, and adores him. And Tom just seems to have the world in his, in his fingertips. And also, uh, or but also, he's not... This grimy mobster goon. He encounters so many guys who are just like vulgar evians. They're killing people. They're tortured men. Like they're beating everyone up. And Tom is—he's kind of above it all. Uh, they make a point to say like he doesn't kill people. He's not like going around beating people up. He's not this huge tough guy. And I mean, this—that's a character that can be really obnoxious, but it's not obnoxious here because it's so well written. And like you believe it, he's—he's he's smart, but. And this is the kind of uh, kicker with the movie, and the little wrinkle: like, he's not as smart as he thinks he is, and also he's not as good as he thinks he is either. So this is the the funny thing that makes the movie so uh, morally complex: is like Tom, he's this, he's this brilliant guy, he's and he's like everything's going for him, and yet he's uh, obviously he did to the gambling, he he makes a series of bad bets, and that gets him in a really tight spot. And he's sleeping with his boss and best friend's girlfriend. And that's really not a very nice thing to do. And he's also, you know, working for Organized Prime. Again, like this is not a nice thing. And so Tom obviously has this really high opinion of himself, the sort of the maybe. And by the end of the movie, he's definitely in a different place. And not a lot of movies can pull off character growth like that, right? And they definitely don't pull off character growth in a way that's, morally ambiguous but not kind of like fringe or heavy handed at all so to kind of summarize um some points in the movie like i'm gonna skit most of it just because who cares like it's it's all good but like you know it would take you a really long time to explain it and it wouldn't really be relevant to the review but essentially tom um the woman he's sleeping with is uh, uh leo's girlfriend her brother is bernie burnbaum and He's this really, really well done character. And uh, yeah, he's a buggy. He's the ultimate sleazeball, shady eye, just this absolute worm. And uh, there's some complex series of contrivances. Tom is assigned by the Italian mob boss to kill him. And he takes him out to the woods. And the, uh, Bernie pleads for his life in the most pathetic way imaginable. And Tom takes pity on him and tries to fake his death. But then. Bernie returns immediately afterwards and realizes that he can blackmail Tom with that information that he spared him and proceeds to do so. And Tom's problems keep getting worse and worse. But by the end, Tom kind of resolves the contradictions within himself and behaves in this totally ruthless manner and essentially sets up the mob boss to be killed by Bernie and then Tom appears, and this is the only one person in the movie he kills, and just coldly shoots Bernie in the head and frames him for it. And yeah, so I guess it's a happy ending, right? Tom gets out of his, his problems, but Tom is no longer in the same, right? He's no longer above it all. But, and th- this is, a, I guess, the kind of growth, like he never was above it all, right? He was just arrogant and deluded. And so, you know, he's uh, mob fixer. Being a mob fixer means certain things. It doesn't mean you're this warm and fuzzy person. And as smart as Tom is, he's not so smart but he can live apart from the universe and live apart from his choices. And you know, again, look, this is this is a that's um, a pretty uh, a pretty hardcore message, right? Like this is this is a popular movie. Uh, like I think it's it sold a lot of tickets and it, it made a lot of money, but it, it's really got that hard edge to it. And I'm not, I think it's a, a relatively positive message, right? I don't think that, you know, people should become organized crime figures and kill people. But I do think that people should kind of be honest with themselves. And that's a, an important step. Like, you, you, know, you know, you need to kind of take yourself less seriously and take your life a lot more seriously. And that's what, what Tom Fighter does by the end is like, hey, I am in this impossible situation. Maybe I've been viewing myself in the wrong way. Maybe the reason I'm so unhappy is because I deserve to be unhappy. And he's like, yeah, like Tom, you know, hey Tom, you've had this identity as really this loyal second-in-command, but also you're banging this guy who you care about's girlfriend. And like, yeah, obviously, you you know, there's something, there's a contradiction there. But Tom, you know, he he obviously there's a gap between um, Leo, the mob boss, and Tom. You know, they both seem to care a lot about each other. They have this age difference, too. Right, like It's like uh, Tom, I think he's in his 30s, and, and Leo's probably in his 50s or 60s. So it's like kind of the older generation, he's gone soft. But Tom is not, you know, um, despite be, being very ruthless by the end, he's not this, like, completely amoral mobster. He still wants to help Leo. He's still loyal to Leo. But through the course of the movie, like, being loyal to Leo, entails doing a lot of very nice things that Tom just wasn't willing to do before. This contradiction kind of drove his life into a ditch. And by the end, he's out of the ditch, but he's also uh, left everything behind, right? He's left his old opinion of himself behind, right? He's no longer this person who was above the dirty work of mob life. He's left Wio behind, even though... Um, he's demonstrating kind of ultimate loyalty to Leo and kills the Italian mob boss and he basically solves all of Leo's problems. And then he finally leaves, um, I can't even follow her name in the maybe, Verna, Verna. uh, He leaves Verna, the woman he was having the affair with. He leaves her behind too. And yes, it's, it's, uh, again, it's it's, uh, a very ambiguous message, right? It's a happy ending, but he's definitely not the same and he'll never be the same again. So you got this very complex moral message, you've got this very complex plot, but it's packaged in the kind of ultimate mob movie where the Coen brothers Obviously, love mob movies in the same way that Buster Scrubs illustrated that they loved westerns, and so they're quoting all this really funny, were exciting scenes from older mob movies, and they're adding their own twist on it. And sometimes it gets absolutely ridiculous. Like there's a, a great action sequence where Leo is almost assassinated by two hitmen who have Tommy guns, and Leo grabs one of the Tommy guns, and he must fire like 500 rounds without reloading in the course of like two minutes and it's like again like the ultimate gangster thing like gangsters they have tommy guns this gangster is going to have a tommy gun and it's going to have a tommy gun that's turned up to 11 and he's just like blazing through hundreds of rounds at, at these like model t's and these assassins and it looks great and it's funny and it's exciting and you can't really spoil that right it's it's a it's a joy to watch and yeah, just going back to how light on its feet this movie is, like it never takes the bait. It never even seems like it becomes personal for the directors. And this is something I've talked about before, but like, you know, the the there's not the podcast effect where it's like you are going on a journey with this director and you're both going to reminisce about how much you like mob movies. Even though this movie references so many other mob movies, it never tries to be anything other than I'm excellent, my movie, in it's foam right, right? These past references, they enhance the action. They don't define it. And I don't know, thinking about the personal role of the director, like it's it's impressive how they avoid taking the bait in the way that so many modern movies take the bait. So, for instance, in The Fly, there's basically a gang-love triangle. And I don't, like, don't let this scare you off from the movie. They never depict it it's referenced in innuendo, like it's important for understanding the plot. But, you know, I imagine a modern movie would like show you that they're walking out of the shower together or something like that. And it's supposed to be like this subtle whatever, but it's really like throwing in your face like, hey, these guys are gay, they're gay, 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 gay. And um, yeah, Miller's processing doesn't take the bait for that at all. It doesn't show you it um, there's this kind of full complex murder scheme, and it's not really even really clear who murdered this guy or why they murdered him until the end. You know, Dale of trying was involved in this, and then you um, didn't realize it was just like an accident, like pure happenstance. But like all this stuff is going on in the background. The Com brothers don't bother to spell it out for you because one, it's I guess it is important in terms of the plot. It's not important in terms of the movie, and. Yeah, like they, they never take like the self-indulgent contemporary, like they're not going to get an award for, for like new expression in film. And in, in fact, there's a, the way the movie deals was ethnicity is, is also really funny and really unexpected and not personal. And so, you know, it's a movie that is nominally about a war between Irish and um, Italian organized prime groups. And so obviously there's very little love lost between um, both of those ethnicities. They're always using slurs for each other. And it's even a movie that unsentimentally handles anti-Semitism. So many characters are anti-Semitic and they're, they're so anti-Semitic in a way that like, most people today, I don't think, would even pick up on it, right? It's it's like a lot of period insults for Jewish people. And the movie doesn't dwell on it at all. You know, obviously, the Cohen brothers are Jewish for life. It's just something that exists in the universe. And it doesn't seem jarring at all for the characters, just because Bernie Bourbon himself, you know, he's, he's Jewish and, and like he's like the worst guy in the world if he's a walking caricature. And, um, yeah, like I mean there's like there's no cynicism to them inserting these characters in there. It's not something that like they're forcing you, the viewer, to watch that so they're not trying to relate at personal struggle to you. They're kind of like the the puppet master, like the guy who's always the the you know, it's the ultimate directors there, so talented. Like it's it's almost unreal how vivid this movie is. Where they're just like showing you a perfect story, all the pieces fit together perfectly but it's not like the them telling you the story is not like making you look at them Right. And that's the problem with so much modern media is that it gets really people talking about themselves. And the Con brothers, I'm sure they have, you know, a lot of their personal experiences inform their work. But it's so clearly not about them and they're able to kind of like maintain this detachment and playfulness throughout it. They can go places that other people can't go. And, you know, again, about to Killers of the Flower Root, I, I have nothing but bad things to say about that movie. I think a lot of the flaws come from Scorsese being unable to maintain his distance um, in a healthy way, in a way that the Coen brothers are able to maintain their distance. And a good kind of counterexample to have the Coen brothers push Jewish issues, Kenny found another Jewish filmmaker, Michael Mann, who, you know, he's a great, he's a radio major director, He, but in a lot of his movies, like, he'll insert this, like, neo Nazi villain or something like that. And it won't really make a lot of sense. Uh, like, a, a heat to the book, um, which is, was pretty disappointing, also has that. And they're just like thrown in, like, you know, three quarters of the way through. And they're jarring. And since well, you get why that would be important to Michael Mann. Um, but it's it's not really important to the story. And ultimately when you're like this master of Rathman, where the you know, Michael Mann on a technical level, he's so talented. Like he he really is like a, a kind of one of a kind guy. But like this the story comes first, the movie comes first, like you're making art that's gonna be viewed for for generations. And so there's always gonna be something of you in that. But I, I think that the Khan brothers approach is much more refreshing in that like Their personalities don't override the underlying story, right? It works perfectly as art. It works perfectly as entertainment. And I really think that any any person who walks in off the street, who watches Miller's Crossing, would enjoy it. And I think that they're able to capture something really eternal. And it's great because it it really feels like kind of cyclical progress, right where they're they're quoting things from the past, but they're building on top of that, right like you know you could show memoirs crossing to someone in the thirties and they'd probably recognize the similarities to the stuff that the to the noir movies are watching now, but honestly, I think it's better uh, right like the, this this is something that is uh, you know, I've watched a lot of movies and, uh, you know, I almost got my MA in film studies, but, like, drop that. But, like, people hated me for this view. But, like, I really do think movies are getting better, or at least they were getting better for a while. Now they're obviously getting worse. But, like, they were improving and the Coen brothers were a huge part of that improvement where they are just so masterful and so knowledgeable of this stuff that they can can actually add to dead genres where they can bring it back and enhance it. And much of this... I think, traces back to their genuine enthusiasm for this stuff. Like, you can you can hear them talk about, um, you know, I think a lot about Ballad of Buster Scrubs and just how much they love Westerns and how enthusiastic they are about old Westerns and how excited they get about those movies. And I assume it's the same way with detective movies. I can't think of off the top of my head any any other, like, noir movies that they've made. But, like, they love this stuff. And there's a real enthusiasm there, and that passion shines through it every single part of the project. And like blasts down the gates of, like, traditional criticism where there, there's, like, a motif of, like, a hat blowing away, and, you know, the, the main character, Tom, is always losing his hat. And, um, you know, some film critic asks him, like, well, what did the, did the hat symbolize? Did it symbolize, like, Faye tearing his, you know... Um, his aspirations away, his own identity away. They're like, no, the image of a hat blowing through the woods looked really cool. And so we wanted to depict that really cool thing. And they do that in a non-juvenile way. Like it's not fan service, but they obviously love this stuff and they want to build more of it. And again, I think that's a, that's a pretty rare thing, especially now, and you detect this lack of passion everywhere in so many privates. So Napoleon... Uh, is a perfect example of this, where he got $200 million. They got all these good actors together. They, you know, spent so much time recreating the Napoleonic-era uniforms and fighting and stuff like that. And the whole movie is just this horrible slog, and it looks like shit, because Ridley Scott is obviously this bitter old man who doesn't give a shit about any of the details. And the Conn brothers are obviously fascinated by the little details, and they love the little details. And so they, you know, they want to reference that and enhance it and build something long term off of it. So in conclusion, I really strongly recommend this movie. I hope that after you listen to this episode, you go out and watch it because I think it's good for all of this incredible stuff throughout even recent history to be kind of wallpaper in your mind. And my greatest fear is that kind of that people will one day to look around And they go outside and it looks like shit and all the people are dumb and it seems like everything meaningless. And they go back home and they turn on the TV and things will look like shit and everything is dumb. And, you know, they're, they're just like surrounded by trash all the time. And then eventually they assume that trash is normal acceptable and they kind of bend their tastes around that like that's my nightmare like you really should see all this great quality older stuff it is not wheaty-twenty it is not pretentious it's accessible you could go watching today you could show it to a stranger and if they can focus their attention for like an hour and a half or so they can watch this thing and enjoy it and they'll like, you got to keep, like, you know, you got to keep the fires burning. Like, standards have to stay high. So, I really do recommend that you uh, watch Milos Prossing. There are other Colin Brothers movies that I like. If you if you like Milos Prossing, you probably like them, too. Raising Arizona is excellent. Blood Simple is an, a great thriller set in Texas, which was their first movie, and it's kind of set up like a slasher. A Serious Man is also very good. It's, like, the most Jewish movie of all time. So, if you're interested in Jewish issues, watch A Serious Man. If you like Westerns, you will love Valid of Vest- Us. And then finally, True Grit, which is very similar to Miller's Crossing in that it's a genre picture that takes a lot from other like kind of classics in the western genre. Right, True Grit is a, a remake, of, or I guess a reimagining of an earlier John Wayne. Maybe he's based on a classic western book. But again, the Coen brothers are able to take all of these past influences together over several decades worth of Westerns and update it in a way that is totally natural and effective and I think exceeds the original movie a lot. I mean, True Grit is, I think, undeniably one of the best Westerns of all time. I love that movie. After you've seen those processing, go watch True Grit. right, because it's it's rare. Like, I, I feel like movies fall into two silos now where it's, it's like this unbearable, like Criterion, capital S, serious. No one's going to fucking watch this movie uh, except people jerking themselves off on, like, film forums. And then there's, like, Fast and the Furious, and this kind of, like, dull zombie person goes and, and watches it every three months. That they, they shit one of these movies out. So, like, please see Miller's processing. There's so much free stuff out there. Uh, and, yeah, that's all I got. So thanks for listening. I hope to see you soon.